and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by The Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following lesson is by Dr. Danny Campbell, senior pastor at The Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Wednesday evening Bible study. Additional information about The Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Dr. Danny for another edition of Tabernacle Today. It's so nice to see everybody. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. And as uh, we turn there, we're entering a passage tonight that probably um, is the most theologically nerdy of all that's in James. But even here, he intends to be intensely practical in a believer's walk. And remember the old Wendy's commercial where the lady said, Where's the beef? Uh, James was the kind of pastor that would say, where's the fruit? You know, you say you love Jesus, it should show in your actions, you know, the things you do for Him. And this passage today makes us think of the theological part of all that, uh, faith and works, but it also, uh, we want to catch James challenging each of us to have our faith work through love like the Apostle Paul talked about. Theology is a big word, but it just means the study of God, right? So, In Luke 1 and Acts 1, he says, I'm writing this to you, Theophilus. Theophilus is God-lover, like Phyllis in there, Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, God-lover. Theos is God in that. So theology, ology is to study something. Theology is the study of God. But it's also the umbrella term that we use to discuss every doctrine in the Bible, right? All the other ologies. The word soteriology is the study of salvation. Uh, And a big topic under that heading is how to understand the relation between faith and works because the Bible in the New Testament especially talks about faith and works quite a bit and talks about both as being very important. And so it's interesting. I think I told you already that the first two letters in the New Testament that were written were Paul writing the book of Galatians and James writing the book of James. And what's of interest to us is the difference in how Paul and James use the word justification. So uh, many times we look at what a word means when we're studying in the New Testament, but oftentimes it's the context of the way the word is used and the author using the word that helps us know exactly how to bring it home. So just because we can do word studies doesn't mean every different author, every different human author, is using the word in exactly the same way. So that's important as we look at this text also. Most theologians agree that the Apostle Paul clearly taught justification by faith alone. And that's good news indeed because multiple scriptures say we could never do enough works, you know, uh, to get salvation. We could never make a hundred on the report card it would take. Uh, And one of the things about the law of God in the Old Testament was to show people that we get far less than a hundred and only a hundred and above gets into heaven, and none of us make a hundred, so to speak, using the school analogy, right? And uh, it takes somebody perfect taking our place, and I can't do that for you because I'm not perfect, and you can't do it for me because I'm not perfect, but thank the Lord Jesus was perfect, and since He's God and made that sacrifice, uh, then His hundred can count for all of us when it comes to grading time on Judgment Day, which is pretty cool. 
But some would argue from today's passage that James taught justification not by faith alone, but by faith plus works. So it's clear Paul did not teach that, but some take the text we're going to read today and say James did teach that. So that's what we're going to look at today. And of course, we're going to see that Paul and James did not contradict each other, but complemented each other on the role of faith and works in the life of a believer. So we're going to try to do what is not often done enough from this passage. We're going to try to keep it practical even as we answer the theological questions, because I don't want anybody to leave here tonight without redoubling your commitment because you love Jesus to serve others in His name and especially the kind of ministries that James is calling us to every few verses in this, right? Uh, it'd be a shame if we, let the, if we took the teeth out of it uh, by the way we talk about it. So James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. We actually looked at the first few verses at the end of last week's message and we're going to just bring them in to the, today because James, as much as any author in the New Testament, it's kind of like a chain link fence, you know. Uh, the link goes all the way out. Uh, the next one has started and they overlap as it goes into the next one, right? And his passages really just tie together like that uh, or are linked together like that in a beautiful way. So James says, what does it profit, my brethren, brothers and sisters, if someone says he or she has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God. The great Shema passage, the Shema passage in Deuteronomy 6 was, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So every Jewish background believer would have resonated with that verse. You believe that there is one God. You're good on doctrine. You do well. Even the demons believe, though, and they tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man or woman is justified by works and not by faith only. Speaking of women, likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also." Faith works. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful portion of Scripture, Lord. It has caused great consternation as people have discussed theology over the centuries, but it's evident from Pastor James's heart he didn't want anybody that he was talking to to have a form of religion without the power thereof, to be professing believers but not practicing believers, Lord God. And Lord, I pray that as we go over this tonight, Lord, it would just encourage us to know that we're justified by what you did for us, but what we do for you is an overflow of the love you've shown us, God, and it's our great delight to join you in what you're doing. Within our church family, Lord, within those we come into contact with, and to the very ends of the earth. Thank you that just today someone left a message on my phone thanking the church for their help meeting practical needs, Lord. 
and doing the kind of things that Pastor James called for, Lord. Pray to continue to bless that family, Lord, and our interaction with all those you've called us to minister to, both here and around the world. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, I tried to set it up when we were in James 1, but not all of you have been here every time. So the one thing I almost never hear people talking about when they discuss this passage and the whole faith justified by faith, justified by works that's in that, this passage is that James has already made an overriding statement about the new birth and how it comes from God, not from what we do in chapter 1, right? And so James didn't believe anybody could be saved by works, or for that matter, they'd come up with the idea to be saved on their own because he's already said that God has brought us forth by his own will, right? And so let's catch that. James 1, 17, 18 has already, there's your fill in the blank, he's already affirmed salvation as a gift of God. So let's just take this, the minute here and look back at James chapter 1, verse 17, in verse 16, he says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Verse 17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and come down, comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So he says every good and every perfect gift comes where? From above. From who? The Father, the Heavenly Father. What do you do with a gift? You receive it, right? Uh, uh, do you work to receive it? Of course not. You know, uh, I don't say to a friend, I don't say, Randy, I've got a gift for you, but it'll take you, uh, you know, 10 hours in my uh, yard working uh, to get the gift. Well, he'd say, that's not a gift. You're, there's strings attached, right? And he says, every good and perfect gift is from above, and we know what to do with gifts. If we want the gift, we receive it, right? And there's no work at all involved in it. If we uh, rejoice in the gift enough, we go ahead and receive it. Um, so then he immediately speaks of the ultimate gift in verse 18, the gift of salvation. Chapter 1, verse 18 says, Of God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So it says what God has done. If you're saved, God has initiated that through his grace. And if you're saved, God saved you for a purpose that you would be the first fruits. The first fruits was the fully developed uh, early crop that popped up, right? And they'd wave it. They'd wave it and say, this is the first of many more to come. So the Bible says that Jesus is the first fruits. He's risen from the dead. He's the first fruits of all those like us who will one day rise from the dead because of our faith. In this passage, James says, God saved you. He initiated salvation in your life. He captured you by His grace. He initiated your new birth. So that what? You would be an example, the first fruits of all the others. This is 2,000 years ago he's writing this. 2,000 years from now, James can see it, right? 2,000 years from now, they're going to say, we want to serve Christ just like those early believers did. We want to be like that early church. And we still do that, don't we? And we are so idealistic, we forget the early church problems because they were sinners like us, and we make it all idealistic. But the point is that they were always shooting for the ideal of doing, being the hands and feet of Christ, doing what Christ would do if He was still physically here. And Jesus said, you're going to do greater works without me here. The Holy Spirit's going to help you to do greater works than if I was physically here. And that obviously is a corporate thing because none of us on our own can do more and greater things than the Lord did when He was here. John said it would take 
uh, all the libraries in the world to hold all the books, you know, that would be written if he talked about all that he saw the amazing Jesus do. So he's clearly speaking of the new birth there in verse 18. He teaches that on the divine level, those who are saved are saved because of God's making the new birth happen in their life. We call that grace. James clearly didn't believe that doing work saves a person because he's already taught that God's grace is behind true conversion. Now, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, and hopefully somewhere along the line, some of you have already memorized Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. If you haven't, let me commend that to you as being a beautiful verse to start memorizing other verses with, those three. Get you a 3 by 5 card, write Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 on there, and just recite it over and over again. Recite it to your spouse, your friend, whoever, and learn those verses. What does it say? For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, wasn't your idea, <laughs> it was the gift of God, not as a result of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are His workmanship. First fruits, can you hear it in there? We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, right? So, uh, works don't save us. The very faith that we expressed in Christ, God first, we love Him because He first loved us. He came to us and we said, yeah, I'll take that gift. <laughs> I'll latch on. And, um, and the result of that is having been born again, having been born from above, uh, we are uh, His workmanship. We have been created. We have been created in Christ Jesus to do good works, right? So beautiful. So when the new birth has really happened, works is going to follow faith, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. James is saying the same thing. He just takes his whole book to say it. In James 1, 17 and 18, he says Ephesians, what's in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, that verse 10 about we being his workmanship created to do good works, James takes the entire book of James to talk about the practical ramifications of being his workmanship, doing good works for him through faith. So when the new birth has really happened, works will follow faith. But works never precede faith, right? We could never do enough to measure up and do enough to please him. And it's critical that we get that distinction because in other contexts, Paul tries to liberate believers that had a works mindset salvation, a legalism that said, you got to do these things to be saved. Check, check, check. And Peter in Acts 15 says, that's a burden that we were never able to measure up to. And we need to understand the message of grace and respond in faith, just like these dear Gentiles are, and not put any work on them that, that, and, and say that it's related to salvation, or we're going to mess them up the way we're messed up when we have that mindset, right? Um, so you have all that there. Here's how the Reformers said it. Those people like Martin Luther and John Calvin and all their associates and stuff, here's what they said. The faith that saves is faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. I'm going to say that again because I didn't put it in your notes in case anybody wants to write that down. The faith that saves is faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. In other words, it will overflow into works done for the Lord. So let's go through this passage, James 2, 14 through 17. And we're going to use that phrase, faith without works is dead. It's interesting, every few verses, that, that happens again. That statement, three different times. And it really gives you the three 
unfoldings of the passage, right? So the first few verses there, verses 14 through 17, James rejects false faith that doesn't work. Look at verse 14. He says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? And you can almost, and, and this does work out in the Greek like this. It says, can faith save him? You could real easily say, can that faith save him? He's positing somebody coming to him and James has a direct confrontational style. It's clear through the book that he would just say it directly to people. So he says, Let me speak now to the person who claims to be saved, but it doesn't show in serving others around them. And when he says um, that uh, can that faith save him, he's basically saying, Does that person's version of faith square with what Jesus and the apostles taught? Not at all. That faith is a false faith, right? So James has already referred to meeting the needs of vulnerable people like the widows of that day, uh, orphans, um, and loving all church visitors, not just well-off ones. In verses 15 and 16, we saw this last week, he rejects the idea that someone's truly a person of faith who would fail to help a needy brother or sister in Christ be fed and clothed. He says there's no profit in that kind of faith. You see it there in verse 15? If he has a brother or sister, they're naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Hey, wasn't that a great Bible study we just went to? Hey, let me say a prayer for you to get that need met. <laughs> James is like, No, no, if you can meet the need, do it right there. Reminds me of the church one time, and uh, they were having their prayer meeting, and uh, somebody mentioned a need, and the pastor said to uh, the wrong guy, he got the wrong guy out there, somebody like Harry. He said, Harry, uh, he said, will you pray that that need will be met? And Harry, the guy that was Harry, looked at it and said, I will not. And the pastor said, what do you mean you won't? He said, we can pass the plate right now and meet that need, preacher. We don't need to pray about that one. And the pastor said, you're right. And they did. The need was met, right? Practical faith. Uh, so uh, James is really laying this on them there. There's no prophet in the kind of faith that would be able to meet a need, see the need, and God bring it across your path and just run, run the other direction, right, for whatever reason. And man, if we get serious about that, then that means sometimes our uh, praying, giving, etc. is going to be stretched, inconvenienced, etc. But uh, this is about being a fruit-bearing Christian. James says clearly in verse 17, two more times before we're done, he says, Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. By the way, are you familiar with the other John 3.16? You do know there's two of them, don't you? Right? You do know there's two John 3.16s in the Bible? There's John 3.16, but then there's 1 John 3.16. Turn to 1 John right now. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What does John 3.16 says? God has a gift of salvation for the world, and it's His Son Jesus. And what do you do with a gift? You receive the gift, right? You believe in Him, you have eternal life. How about though... 1 John 3.16, and I'm actually going to read verses 16 through 18, because old John the Apostle agrees with James. By this we know love, because Jesus laid down His life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Isn't that great? He's saying the same thing, isn't he? He's, it, John, that, that John 3.16 is covering the same thing as James 3.16. So, the first John 3.16 refers to trusting God's Son for salvation, receiving God's gift. 
The other John 3.16 refers to making your life a gift to others as you love them and meet their needs in Jesus' name. So if you profess the first John 3.16, you need to practice the other John 3.16. Now, I think it's helpful here to stop because what really brought all this home for me as a young Christian studying these things was my favorite verse. John 15.5 says, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll do what? You'll bear much fruit. And it was such a revelation for me when I came to understand that the word works in the New Testament is a synonym for the word fruit in the New Testament, right? Because I understand that if the uh, branch is connected to the tree and getting the nutrients it needs through what it's rooted in, it's going to do what? It's going to bear fruit. So that is so helpful because it's the same thing related to works, right? It's not that you can do the things God calls you to do supernaturally on your own. It's that when you abide in the vine, when you start with your relationship with Jesus, then the fruit just naturally is there, right? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But knowing that is the great reminder. Uh, Recently, um, I was embarrassed about this by my brother-in-law. So my brother-in-law, my sister's husband, they stayed a couple days. And uh, he was walking around the property each morning and he said, Hey, Danny, you got a lot of poison ivy climbing up the trees. And I was like, you're right, but I mean, I, I'm a preacher and I'm busy, you know, and stuff. I, you know, don't really, I'm cheap, so I don't want to pay somebody else to do it, you know. But, so I got out there and attacked it about a week or two after he was there. And you know, I did this. I cut the vines at the base of the tree, right? And I disconnect, you know, I cut them up two or three places up the tree also. And it was those hot July days, right? Within two days, I didn't see any green leaf at the top of my trees anymore from poison ivy. Having been cut off, right? Having been cut off, they dried up. They dried out. And uh, man, so now poison ivy is a weed, but that's true with anything that will grow, right? Uh, it has to be connected to the source to be able to keep on bearing the fruit that it has to be. And I really like that. It's our relationship to Jesus that causes us to bear fruit. So we can't even have the James 2 discussion without remembering what he's already said in James 1, right? God has brought us forth to be the first fruits. Now, a live faith bears fruit. That's the key, right? So when, when, when the vine died, <laughs> no more poison ivy up there, right? If we have an alive faith, it will bear fruit. It does good works. Fruit and good works, same thing. Dead faith does not bear fruit, or as James says, faith without works is dead. Okay, so that's what he covers in the first few verses there. Verses 18 through 20, James declares that intellectual assent alone is not true faith. Now, what do you mean by intellectual assent alone? Well, he's going to bring in them understanding the great doctrinal passage that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But for us, it may be having head knowledge that I'm a sinner and that Jesus is the Savior, but never having personally trusted Jesus and have not personally committed to being His follower, right? I can have the head knowledge, I can be around others that have the head knowledge, but until I appropriate that, truly receive Him uh, and give Him my heart and life as my love gift back to Him, because this is what we don't talk about enough. Salvation is receiving a gift, but it's also kind of a gift exchange. Man, when you receive Jesus, you get your sins forgiven, 
You get eternal life. You get a reserved place in heaven. You get the indwelling Holy Spirit. You, you get all those things, new brothers and sisters in Christ. What does he get? Well, if I read the fine print right, he gets you. He gets you. He gets your heart. He gets to rule from that day forward from your heart. And as he does, transformation happens, right? As we apply the word of God in our hearts and lives. Jesus, James deals with an objection there in verse 18. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. It's as if they're saying, you do you, Pastor James, and I'll do me. Don't judge me. You know, like the person has the tattoo, only God can judge me, right? Well, that person's forgetting that God's going to judge them. <laughs> and he's told us the basis of the judgment in the Word of God, right? So we can pass those things along, and it's not really us judging. We're saying, hey, you know, you claim to know him, but you, you know you're out of the will of God in this. Come on, repent, bro. Um, James's answer is best understood sarcastically. Look what he says there. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. In other words, he's saying something like this. I don't know anything about how much you believe based on what I see you do. But you can see whether or not I am doing what Jesus said people that love him would do. So what's he doing here? He's so, James is so connected to, remember, James is Jesus' half-brother, right? So James grew up as an unbeliever around the Son of God. <laughs> there was Joseph, there was Mary, there was all the sons and daughters. James was one of those sons. And he grew up mocking his brother. He grew up, there's a key passage that says, even his brothers didn't believe in him. But 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that after Jesus rose from the dead, he's like, oh no, he's not just my big brother, he's God. And uh, he said, yeah, I'll worship you now. And he surrendered his life. All his, all his shaking his fist at his half-brother Jesus became, I'm with you now, Jesus. I'm with you. I'm your follower. 1 Corinthians 15 says that happened. And, uh, but he had been there all the times. Mary had drugged those kids everywhere hoping they'd get whatever Jesus had. Man, if I can just get into James and his brothers and sisters, what Jesus got, you know. And uh, so he heard all that teaching. And once he got saved and the Spirit was inside, the Spirit reminded him all the things that Jesus taught, just like the Spirit did that with all the other followers. And it became so powerful for him. And he remembered that Jesus said, you'll be able to identify people by their fruit. What did Jesus say? Good trees bear good fruit. Bad trees bear bad fruit. And in the context, he's talking about trees connected to him as the source and those who are not. I am the vine, you're the branches. Abide in me, you'll bear much fruit, right? John 15, 8 says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you'll prove to be my disciples. And then John 15, 14, Jesus said, You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So do you want to be called a friend of God? Then you need to do what he commanded you. James is dealing with our propensity to misunderstand and come to the wrong conclusion about God's free grace that he gives. You know, the kind of person that says, hey, I accepted Jesus and I'm going to heaven, so it doesn't matter what I do now. Have you ever heard anybody say anything like that? Yeah, we've heard that. So no, it's not that. Here's what it is. I've accepted Jesus and I'm going to heaven, so everything I do matters now, right? It's not I'm saved so I can do whatever I want, but I'm saved so I can do whatever God wants me to do. And where the light switch is going on, that, that's, that's the way it is, isn't it? Um, Charles Stanley one time said, it's impossible for God to truly be living inside somebody. That's what our faith teaches, that when you receive Christ, He's inside of you. He said, it's impossible for God to truly be inside you and it not show. And I believe that's true. I believe that's true. That doesn't mean we're all, uh, you know, walking billboards of sainthood every time we go out. We stumble in lots of ways. 
But man, when the direction is set, you know, uh, we're heading the right direction and it shows over time. Maybe you can't see it from day to day, but from year to year, you can say, hey, I'm not everything I want to be yet, but thank God I'm not what I was, right? And I'm making progress. I'm responding to things the way the Lord would have me respond. So merely affirming that you believe what Christians believe without following Christ is false faith, not true faith. Look at verse 19. He says, you believe that there's one God, you do well, but even the demons believe and they tremble. What's the point? Well, uh, demons uh, know the truth, but they're obviously not saved. What do demons do? They work against God. They don't work for God. Yet even they tremble when they think of God and the judgment to come. And James is intending the irony here. Demons aren't going to heaven, but they do tremble when they think about judgment day. And many casual professing Christians who may or may not truly be saved aren't trembling at all. They're being presumptuous in their faith. They're taking their faith for granted. And Pastor James is giving them a big left hook here if he's left-handed like me or a right hook if he's right-handed and saying, that dog won't hunt. That's just not the way it is. So for the second time in verse 20, he drops the truth on them. Do you want to know, a foolish man, that faith without works is dead? And uh, that word foolish in verse 18 could be translated empty or defective. Hey, empty man, defective man, uh, that your faith without works is dead. And that leads us to that third section there, the third of the three sections, verses 21 to 26, where we see that faith justifies before God, whereas works justify before men. Now again... We are, he's already told us not to judge, right? He says we're going to be judged by the law of mercy, so make sure in your life mercy is triumphing over judgment. And we remember the great passage in Micah that says what God requires of us, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. So James has already told us not to get hung up on judgment. But here he's making a key point about the difference between justification before God and justifying before men, that's the basis of us knowing how to partner with each other when we're serious about our faith, right? So, to understand this passage, we have to understand that James refers to two events in the life of Abraham that happened several decades apart. You'll never get this passage if you don't understand that the two things he talks about happened 30 or 40 years apart, right? So, the first one secured Abraham's salvation before God, the second showed Abraham's salvation to his fellow man. And it's what gets celebrated in the Scriptures, right? So James brings up the later incident first, the one that happened 40 years later after James had already believed. But he roots it in the first incident. And so to get this, let's look at it in those reverse order. Verse 23, look what he says. The verse 23 is the second incident that fulfilled the first incident. So look at verse 23. He says... And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. So, the scripture was fulfilled. What scripture? The one when Abraham got saved. When God came to him and made him a promise, and it said, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Anybody that's ever been saved has been saved that way by God taking initiative and coming to them and them saying, I believe and I'll follow you. And since you're God and I'm not, I'm going to try my best to do what you say, even though I know there will be pits and stumbles along the way, right? So powerful, so powerful that that happens. 
That belief was what justified Abraham before God. Turn to Romans. Because in Romans, Paul actually looks at that same principle several times Paul brings back up that Abraham believed God and it was justified to him. It was accounted to him as righteousness, justification by faith. But look at verses 2 through 5 in Romans 4. It says, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. Underline this, but not before God. But not before God. If Abraham was justified by works, he'd have something to boast about, but it wouldn't be before God. If, if he did boast, who would the boasting be before? It'd be before men, right? That I'm, I'm, I'm doing what God says. I'm his friend. But even that, Abraham's not supposed to do. Why? Because he received something that he didn't earn. And so the doing of the works is for the sake of other people, not for uh, Abraham's justification by faith. Verse 3, For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace but as debt. But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. My goodness. So you got the clear teaching of justification by faith before God, but interestingly, it perfectly complements what Pastor James teaches about justification or the works being something that shows our fellow man something, right? Our fellow man something. It can't happen without faith in God, but it shows our fellow man something. So this clearly teaches justification by faith before God, but leaves room for James' argument that works help justify us, not to God, but to our fellow men. Just like Romans 4 says, not before God. Right? Same argument. I hope you're with me here. Uh, let's, let's see. Maybe Charles Ryrie can help us out here. He's, here's what he says. In Paul's writings, justification means to declare a sinner righteous in the sight of God. Here in James, it means to vindicate or to show to be righteous before God and men. So after sharing Genesis 15, 6, when Abraham was justified faith, James remind us that the Old Testament called Abraham God's friend. But let's get real practical about this again. How do you know somebody is a friend of God? How do you know somebody's a friend of God? Well, what did Jesus say? He said, if you're my friends, you'll do what I've commanded, right? You'll do what I say. Abraham was God's friend, and his faith led him to do what God said to do. He didn't do it perfectly. If his salvation had been from measuring up, he blew it lots. We see that in the pages of Genesis when it talks about Abraham. But he had his goal set. And because his goal was set, he was so helpful to his fellow man over and over and over again. And you can see that faith demonstrated in Abraham's life even decades later. So now look at verse 21, because the second incident was rooted in the first. And I might have confused you by reversing the order there, but that's what we dyslexic people do. Was not Abraham, verse 21, our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? My goodness, here's what he's saying there. Uh, that event happened in Genesis 22. It's when Abraham offered his son on the altar. He was willing to have his son die because God said, sacrifice your son. And boy, the wheels must have been turning in Abraham. Are you kidding me? That would be stupid, God. 
I mean, listen, uh, we, were, we, we struggled with infertility for so long, and then you blessed us with Isaac. And, and you know, we, we tried that to do it on our own self, and first there was Ishmael and that, and then Isaac, and now he's here, and you're going you're gonna to have me sacrifice him? Yeah, yeah. Abraham said, well, you're God, and I'm not. I don't understand this, but you've said to do it, so I'll do it. And you know, he had enough faith. He told the fella, he said, we're going to go and worship and then come back. In his mind, he must have been thinking, you know, God is the God of solutions. And so I bet God will figure this out for me somehow. I bet he'll provide a sacrifice somehow. And he did. There was a ram in a thicket. That's what got sacrificed that day. Abraham and Isaac went home. But Abraham was willing to do it with tears in his eyes. He held it up. And then God said, no, no, you don't have to do it. You passed the test. You passed the test. You're my friend. You will do what I say. You will do what I say. Folks, decisions Abraham made 40 years after he placed his faith in Jesus showed before men, us looking on, what was already true before God, right? It was already true before God. The one, his faith, justification by faith, before men, people need to see us doing what God has told us to do or they have no way of knowing that we're really His. So justification by faith is justification inward before God. Justification by works is justification outward toward our fellow man. It's the only evidence you have that I take my faith seriously. And it's the only evidence I have that you take your faith seriously. Hey, everybody can say they believe, right? Everybody can say it. When it says that his faith was working together with his works and by works his faith was made perfect, the word perfect there is bringing something to its end, to its fullness, to its purpose, right? And I think it's so neat that verse 23 starts by saying the scripture was fulfilled. What was fulfilled? That when you have faith in God and then you do what he says, you will be fulfilling your purpose as you do things for other people and the things that God's asked you to do. Abraham's purpose for his life was fulfilled. Just like Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Well, Rahab in verse 25 is a second example of that, uh, and it makes total sense, doesn't it? She was justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. Like everyone else, she had to believe to be justified by faith. But the only way those spies knew that she was with them was the actual act of being with them and helping them get delivered from the Canaanites when Israel came, right? She had to do that outwardly so they'd know that inwardly her faith was real. Think about Hebrews 11, right? That great chapter that says, by faith Abraham did this, by faith Sarah did this, by faith Moses did that, by faith uh, this person, by faith that person, right? And think about what it's saying there. It says that because they were people of faith, they did some good work rooted in their faith that others could see and glorify God. See, it's important to practice, practically own this in our minds. If I was to point to anybody in this room and say, what evidence do you have that so-and-so is a person of faith? What evidence do we have that Joey Bray is a person of faith? Now, somebody say, well, I, I heard him say he, he's a person of faith. I was there when he got wet, right there in the Tabernacle Baptistry, you know. Um, it's a little hollow in that moment to say, well, Joey keeps telling me he is, so he must be, right? Or Joey keeps showing up when we talk about faith. No, we can point to time after time where Joey's faith has shown itself 
by doing something for someone in need, by him testifying to his belief in the truth, him reordering his life and his family, teaching them around his faith, right? We can point to all those things. And we do, don't we? We do, don't we? We know it's by grace through faith that Joey was saved, and yet we look for those tangible things. That's all Pastor James is saying uh, in, in this profound way. He points the fingers right at us and says, if your faith is real, it will show by you doing what Jesus said to do, particularly in serving others. We need to think about such things in every area of our lives. And, you know, I can't tell you how many times. It's usually a young lady with a young man. But the Bible teaches believers not to be unequally yoked, right? So if you love Jesus, you're not supposed to marry somebody who doesn't love Jesus. Now, if you're already married to him, you've got to stay in that thing because God's going to use you to hopefully win them or give them opportunities to be saved. But on the front end, right, for all our precious young ladies and men back in the other room in there, uh, our hope is that they will love Jesus and they'll want their spouse to love Jesus too. Here's what I've seen over and over again. That young girl really does love Jesus, but she's struggling because she really wants to get married too. And here's the guy asking her. And she knows the truth inside. He's just saying it. There's nothing that shows it's true. He's just saying it to get her to marry him, and then he'll miss every Sunday. He'll fight with her when they want to tithe, and all those different things, right? And that's what James is talking about. On the front end, don't, don't believe it because people say it. You know, in that sense, we're fruit inspectors without being judges, and that... That's a balance, isn't it? That's a balance. But that's what Pastor James is talking about. Um, God is really inside of you. It will show over time. And verse 26, he says, If it doesn't show, maybe your faith is a dead faith. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Uh, how about the way Johnny Hunt said it? I probably could have read this and gone right to prayer meeting. Johnny Hunt said, At the heart of James 2, 14 through 16, is the simple fact that genuine faith produces genuine works. If our faith is only something we talk about, James pronounces the death sentence upon it. And that's worth thinking about, right? Have we really made our peace with God? Does it show in what we do? I want you to think about this as an illustration. So we've got uh, power panels here on the wall. And uh, let's say we had a lamp, right? The current, the electricity, in the wall, it represents the power of God unto salvation. The receptacle is God's grace. The power cord that we plug in is faith. The light bulb is works. If the cord is not in the wall, it doesn't matter how many times you flick it, the light's not going to come on, it's not going to be light, right? Also, though, if the cord's in the wall, what are you supposed to do with the light? Turn it on, right? And the power's there to make it happen. That's the correlation between our faith and the fruit we bear, the faith and the works we do. We don't know it's working until we see the light shining, do we? That's what James is saying here. You are plugged into God's power through faith. But if you're not turning on the light, hey, light irritates a world that loves darkness rather than light. But as we let our light shine, what did Jesus say will happen? Men will see our good works and they'll glorify our Father in heaven. Well, let's pray. 
Father, thank you so much for James's awesome challenge to us here in James chapter 2 to be people that don't just say we believe, but that do the things that believers do, Lord. And thank you that he's been showing us specifically the heart we have for all those uh, that need a touch from you, that need a hand up, Lord, that uh, a little time with us could make all the difference in their temporary situation and their eternal situation, God. Thank you for the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, Lord. May we apply that gift by bearing fruit for you as we go through life. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about the Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Tabernacle Today.